Is artificial intelligence something you want to use for your brand but are still trying to figure out how? Join us at the Digiday AI Marketing Summit in Santa Barbara, California from April 11th to April 13th and see how brands and agencies are using this new technology for everything, shifting media dollars, customer service, and content curation. For more information, visit digiday.com slash events. Hope to see you there. Hello and welcome to Digiday Live, our podcast where we bring you the best sessions from our many summits around the world. I'm Digiday producer Aditi Sangal, and this week I bring you the sessions from our Digiday Publishing Summit. We had many media executives join us to talk about big challenges, and most importantly, what are the avenues to build a sustainable business. In this session, Digiday's Brian Morrissey talks to Avi Zimak from New York Media. Some interesting points that came up were that New York media didn't suffer much from the Facebook newsfeed change. They're also a highly ad-dependent business, but Avi explores other avenues in this discussion, like Apple News and e-commerce. By the way, if you're interested in more than just three audio highlights from our summits, you can get our event briefing from Digiday Plus. It's a new offering we've added to our subscription program, and you should join for a look into the big discussions that went on at every summit. To know more, visit digiday.com. For now, here's the session. So you've been at New York now for a year, yep. right? You were at Outbrain. Yep. So you've, and you'd been in publishing before. So give me about the differences of going... Uh, Vendor side, publishing side. Yeah. So I think um, having worked at, I worked at most of the major media houses, Condé Nast, Time Inc., Hearst, uh, and it was finally like, okay, I'm going I'm to take the plunge. I'm going to leave the industry. I'm going I'm to go into uh, a tech startup, uh, and I was at Outbrain for about five years, um, and like, this was great. I'll still keep my finger in the water of publishing because I get to still work with publishers, but I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ship. Um, there are some major differences. Uh, I think the differences uh, in terms of how management executes, um, the speed with how a startup works, um, constantly MVPing things to say, you know, is this going to work or not? And if it does, investing in it quickly. Um, but there, there are cons also, right? Like there, there's the, you know, we think we know everything, but we've never done it before. And you know, these bigger guys that are well-funded, they've got it, and, and uh, you know, how are we going to compete with that? So uh, for me, it was an incredible experience. It was part of being part of a startup. Um, it was a rocket ship, uh, and it's still doing very well, you know, knock on wood for them. Um, but it was really interesting to come back into this world because I frankly didn't think I was going to come back to the world of you know, publishing. Um, I have a lot of respect for, for the companies I worked at. Uh, looking at New York Media, though, I think they did, uh, they had a unique take, and I think they essentially pioneered or helped pioneer really online publishing, mm-hmm. where they had this iconic title that is New York Magazine. It's 50 years old, a lot of people love it. Um, but then they built an online portfolio versus going out and buying any number of other magazine brands that were on the chopping block, and there still are plenty on the chopping block that are available for sale today. They said, let's, let's pivot from that, let's keep our one magazine brand and create an online portfolio, and that was so a decade ago. let's talk about the portfolio real yep. quick of brands, then we're gonna sure. move into the portfolio, the audience portfolio, sure. and then everyone's favorite, the revenue portfolio. The revenue, yes, we love talking about revenue in public. <laughs> uh, sure. uh, but let's talk a little bit about the portfolio of brands for those who, who aren't completely familiar with all the different brands, because it's a house of brands. It's a house of brands. So. Um, so New York media, everyone always thinks, oh, you, you must be the New Yorker. Uh, or maybe it's New York Magazine. So it is New York Magazine, uh, but our online brands include uh, Vulture, um, which is an entertainment 
uh, site, uh, The Cut, which is women's lifestyle. Um, we have something called uh, The Strategist, which is our e-com play, which we'll talk about a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, gosh, what else? We have something called Select All, which is a tech site. Uh, Science of Us, which is a uh, health and wellness. Um, so it's a pretty, oh, Grub Street, Grub Street, food, Epicurean. Yeah, you love Grub, yeah. yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a pretty well-rounded portfolio of brands. Okay, so audience portfolio. Yeah. Uh, are you feeling the Facebook hit? We're in a unique position. I think this speaks to uh, being a premium publisher where you do have a loyal audience and you do have a brand recognition. Um, we actually weren't that hurt by, uh, by the algo change. Um, as it was, we only received about 10% of our traffic from Facebook as it is. So even that percentage, if the algo, I think the algos, they're saying, impacts publishers by about 50% of their traffic. So that's a pretty small hit for us. On was this because you weren't good at Facebook or was it a strategic decision? I, I think it was a little bit of both. Um, no, I mean, we, we were decent at Facebook, but, but, but it, we just didn't put our legs in, in that basket. Um, you know, we, we publish a lot of content there. We obviously get a good amount of traffic from there, but um, we do much better with SEO and just general organic growth. Um, the interesting stat that I just found out is we, we have seen a slight decline in the stories that we publish on Facebook. And we were, we were in instant articles. We pulled out of that about a month ago. We're on watch. We've got about five um, videos that they bought. Um, We've actually seen an uptick since the algo change. I just learned this today. We've seen an uptick in user-shared content from our properties. So why did you uh, why did you ditch instant articles? Um, I just, mean, I think I know, but I don't. Yeah, I, I just it just <laughs> wasn't doing what it claimed to do for publishers. I don't think there was. Um, I mean, there was that. There was a data piece, but uh, it wasn't doing what Facebook had said it would do for us. Do you think Facebook is committed to that product? I. I think they were committed to that product. Um, I, don't, I don't work, I'm not the guy, uh, it's above my pay grade, who works directly with Facebook on this. Um, but from what I can tell, um, I mean, they're still vested in it, but not as vested as they once were, and I think a lot of publishers are pulling out. So for them to keep sustaining that, um, they need content. Yeah, they should either fix it or just kill it. I, I think would, they should just kill it. Not gonna um, but uh, so you, direct is still important, right? Absolutely. Direct traffic. Absolutely. What percentage like, come direct? Gosh, I mean, it's an interesting mix. Um, I would say well north of 50%. Wow. Um, yeah, it's high. I mean, we have a pretty loyal audience. Again, from the name brand with New York, mm -hmm. um, we've gotten to grow, and we do a really solid job of cross-promoting across our sites. So um, we've got that audience. Um, we bring them onto the other sites, uh, but then we still need all the other outlets as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you never pivoted to video. You guys were always very cautious with video. We're I mean, you do video. You do video, absolutely. We do video. We, we, we're just, I think we recognize that there are different ways of approaching video. Um, so we were, we jumped right on the bandwagon and we said, look, Facebook, uh, excuse me, video is going to be the next big thing. Um, we started creating video that would perform well on Facebook and it was performing really well. Um, newsfeed video, text? Newsfeed, mostly newsfeed video, yeah. Okay. Um, but we recognized quickly that the audience that we were getting from those videos wasn't the audience that we typically get from our, our organic growth. Um, and we said, this isn't our audience. They weren't very sticky at all. Um, and we, we pivoted from that model to something that was more um, organic with how we actually publish our, our content. So it was more in line, more with the same DNA, the way that mm -hmm. we tell our stories. Like what's an example of um, the kind of like news feed type video that you're like, hmm, yeah. this might not be <laughs> the brand or like Adam Moss might say, eh, I don't know if we should be doing it's, this. It's exactly what Adam Moss said. So uh, <laughs> we were doing, um, there's one video that went viral. It was these 
artist, and it was amazing. It was amazing uh, uh, content, and it worked really well on Facebook, where you had these artists, you guys have probably seen it, um, they're, they're, they're painted in these different colors, and you, you go on Facebook, you see this newsfeed, this kind of chameleon crossing the screen with a black background, and then the chameleon kind of unravels itself to be these three people who are painted in these different colors. So it was like humans creating different shapes and animals. And that's really cool, but it's not the serious type of content that we traditionally cover on New York Media or New York Magazine or any of our sites. Um, so you're not said, doing like the weird product review videos? No, I'm going to ask well, Pete Spandy about those. We, we do, we do some of that. I mean, I think it's really, it, it's depending on which site. So what we're going to do with Vulture is going to be a lot different than Cut which is much different than New York. Um, but what we did pivot to was saying, like, let's do stuff that's actually talking to our readers. It's the type of content they want. Mm -hmm. um, we did this thing called Face Race, where we basically had um, our beauty editor uh, bring in top talent makeup artists. And they would put a look on the screen. And they had to sit there and, within seven minutes or less, complete the look. And whoever did it better won. That went viral. And that was more, uh, again, organic to who we are as mm -hmm. a brand. Versus do, you make, these, do you make money off that? We do, yeah. And the way that we're making money is, is um, it's, not, it's not via pre-roll on that stuff. It's more of a sponsored model where we say, you know, brand, you can sponsor this for X amount of dollars, and you'll own that content. Okay, so Facebook Watch. Okay. Is this successful for you? It's, I think we're still in the testing and learning phase. Um, you know, we, we put together five uh, videos for them. Um, it's performing pretty well. We've sold ads against it. But I think it's still early days to understand whether or not it's going to be a successful okay. model so for TBD. us. TBD. TBD on, on watch, okay. yeah. I'm, not, I'm um, not pro and I'm not against. Yeah. yeah, I was having a conversation with a publisher who's completely in on Facebook uh, last night. Um, <laughs> and this publisher was saying, don't be obsessed with watch. Watch can go away tomorrow. It doesn't really matter. But Facebook can't can't lose video, so they have to figure it out. They have to uh, figure it out, yeah. And I think that's, we're in that boat also. Yeah. But, um, but, but again, just I think, fortunately, um, because we are more of a legacy brand and, and we have that portfolio, we're not as reliant on Facebook to make or break our business. So one more thing on the sure. audience side before we get to the fun stuff with sure. the revenue. I want to take a quick break here and tell you more about Digiday Plus. Digiday Plus is our premium membership product. Join our community and get a first-hand look at how digital is transforming the world of media. You'll get our Digiday magazine, exclusive research, and invites to exclusive member events. It's only $33 a month or $395 a year. Please sign up at digiday.com. And for you, our podcast listener, we have a discount offer. To get 25% off your subscription, enter the code podcast at checkout. Now, back to the episode. Apple News came up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And it seems that a lot of publishers are seeing really good audience. This is like a story that continues to repeat itself. <laughs> seeing really nice audience numbers on, on Apple News. And yep. of course, little to no monetization. Yep. Today, I think that's going to change. From, from all the, the conversations that we're having with Apple, um, our audience numbers um, have been impressive. Um, we're not counting it towards Comscore yet, um, but, but the usership is solid and the engagement is solid. Um, we haven't even started or approached the, the ad model business with that, so we're not pumping ads in. Um, but what I like about Apple News is that they are open to helping us monetize in every way possible. Um, we'll be able to put display in there. We'll be able to put custom content, branded content in there. Um, they're going to allow us to open up programmatic within Apple News. So I think they're. they're oh, so they are going to do that because that's a big that's a big complaint from everything right that we've heard so far. They're going to allow programmatic as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think? I mean, are they? 
are they good on the partnership front? I mean, one of the things that was was discussed a lot at at Moguls is, um, you know, some of the platforms are really not that good on the publisher partnership front. Yeah. Well, one in particular is not very good because they change things all the time. Um, <laughs> but it's really early days with Apple. I mean, really early days. So. From everything that we've seen so far, um, they've been very receptive, they've been forthcoming, um, and they're, they're trying to prove that they are going to be flexible for ad products within. So okay. um, I would, I would, it, it also doesn't hurt that a former editor from New York Magazine is now overseeing Apple News. Um, oh. So that's not a bad thing, but okay. so that helps us. We have that in, but um, so far, so good. Okay, so let's talk about the revenue portfolio. How sure. do you break it down? So, so my purview is, and as many revenue. specific numbers as you yeah, want. Sure, I'm, I'm, I'll give you as many <laughs> specific percentages as I can. Um, so uh, my purview is, is advertising. Uh, it's advertising across print. It's advertising across all of our digital properties. Um, it's advertising across um, our sponsorships. So we have um, an experiential uh, division of, uh, of our company. Um, it's revenue uh, that comes in through third-party partnerships, um, such as uh, Taboola, in this case, is who our, our content rec partner is. Uh, and it's also revenue that comes in from programmatic. OK, so how does it break out? Um, the large majority of our revenue today is, and, and I would say if we look at ad revenue specifically um, between print and digital, uh, the large majority today is digital. Um, so we're nearly at 70%. About 65% of our Okay, revenues. are you actively trying to, I mean, a lot of people are trying to diversify away from, from being ad dependent. Um, I think a diverse portfolio of revenue is important. Um, we are ad dependent and, you know, fortunately that's a good business for us. Um, but at the same time, the subscription model yeah. is, is important to us as well. Um, but your subscription model right now is a print subscription model. a print model. subscription model. We're, we're evaluating whether or not it makes sense to put a paywall or meter paywall or any kind of paywall up. So I'm sure a lot of publishers who do not have some kind of paywall are actively on the same journey. Yep. So explain what you're going, what you're looking at to figure out. Um, are you looking at it brand by brand? Yep. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't think a paywall is for everyone. It's like that quote that you just threw up from the Times. Um, I think for a lot of legacy, more news-focused media, um, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, we happen to have that through New York Magazine and, and uh, Daily Intelligencer, which is our, our political content. Um, I think but across- But Grub Street, it's tough in food. There's a lot of food it's tough content in food, out there. And, but maybe we wouldn't throw a paywall up there. Right. Um, and you know, our, the way we diversify and the way that we differentiate our food content from others is Grub Street is local. It's, it's New York. So unless you visit New York often or if you're a former New Yorker, you're probably not going to find that much interest in Grub Street. But we have a heavy concentration in mm -hmm. the DMA that we're focused on. OK, how about commerce? I mean, because uh, you do commerce, and a lot of publishers are looking to commerce, whether it becomes something more than incremental yep. TBD. Um, I'm proud to say it's a, it's a multi-million dollar business for us and growing uh, by leaps and bounds. We, Is I that think, all Amazon affiliate? It's the majority. It's, you can say all, it's not all. Uh, it is large majority Amazon affiliate. Okay. Um, you know, I think uh, for us, the, the model was, we know that people like buying shit on our sites. So we have um, this editorial just proficiency and expertise where they happen over 50 years to say, hey, this is, if you're looking at a certain category, this is the cool stuff to buy within. They've always done, you know, product reviews and recommendations and everything else. And sure enough, 
when people read reviews, they want to either book their reservation or buy something. So we started seeing across the sites, we started putting buy buttons on there um, based on reader requests saying, hey, how do I find this? So we allowed them, hey, here's easy access, just hit buy. And then we saw so much purchasing going on across our sites, we said, why don't we actually take this and essentially aggregate it in one site, which we did and, and we built the strategist. Mm -hmm. um, the strategist has been around for a little bit over a year, close to a year and a half. Um, we've seen 200% growth in, uh, in, in users and in uniques, and we've seen 4x in, uh, or 400% revenue growth in that year and a half. Can you say how much in I transactions can. you're driving? Um, I can say multi-millions of dollars in, tra in transactions okay. without being specific. Okay. One of the things that came up uh, with all this you know, rush to, to build commerce was that, like anything, there'll just be like too much of it out there and its effectiveness will wane. Yep. It's possible. Um, there's not that much risk there for us. Um, I think you know our editors are really staunch about uh, church and state, right? And I think that's again a positive differentiation of how we look at ourselves versus our, our, our competitive set, um, particularly some of the new media that's come out. Um, I can't sell native ads on our commerce site, so I would love to be able to go to you know, Estee Lauder and uh, you know, some of the fashion brands and all these other companies that we work with and say, hey, we're gonna create a, a, a branded content and create this native experience within our commerce site where as you're scrolling through you know, these wonderful recommendations and these reviews, there'll be a review on the latest mascara with a buy button that you paid for and it'll be labeled and it will be fully transparent. Um, our editors won't have it. They really feel like it has to be you know, uh, the consumer reports, if you will, of so they're not looking at the commerce, the commerce data first, and then moving into editorial. It's editorial and then add the commerce. Because I mean, there, people have different ways of doing this. They do. It, it's pretty much our our, um, our outlook across everything that we do. It's always user first. Okay. Which, by the way, as a guy who runs revenue, there are a lot of ways. I mean, I can turn the dial on certain you know widgets and modules and put new ad placements on pages and and crank the revenue up pretty quickly. Um, but they won't allow me to do it because they do believe in the user-first experience. I believe in that model also, um, and it's working for us. So I want to open it up to uh, questions. Uh, we have a couple of microphones. You can ask the first question of the Digiday Publishing Summit. Do you use Avant Link in addition to Amazon no. affiliate? Nope. Okay. Knowing that you own a bunch of brands, how much does audience extension come into play for you still? Not to my knowledge, uh, which maybe I should know, but I, I, it's, that's not in my purview, so I, I actually have no idea. Um, probably. <laughs> I could get back to you on that. But I mean, do you hear that much from, from marketers yeah. that they want to extend? Oh, audience extension in terms of like, like paid traffic and things like that? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, like extending campaigns to other sites, like oh, yeah, um, Grub Street visitors, but for, uh, uh, Are you talking about... Uh, Consumer, consumers, or are you talking about you know, advertising extension? So if we run a campaign and we need to meet impression guarantees and things like that. Either, either hitting scale or reaching performance goals, but offsite and then combining with your first party data. So we do some of that, but pretty minimally. Um, it, it's pretty minimal. So you know, if we need to buy traffic, if we need to hit you know, a, a, an impression guarantee or something of the like um, on a piece of content or ads that we ran, um, yeah, then we'll do it. Otherwise, not too much. Okay. Oh. Yes. So data is interesting. Um, we're, you know, it's always like, you know, the elephant in the room, and everyone says they have so much data. I think for our brands, look, we do about 
just north of 40 million uniques online. Um, the way that we're using data is we're trying to figure out what the touch points are between uh, the commerce that we're now seeing and our content. So I think, you know, when we're working with brands, for example, and through our, our content studio, what I think is really compelling is we can give them first party data telling them, here's what we know that our users are buying. Um, we also know that those users who are buying, you know, from this category, A, B, or C, they're also reading content from this category, A, B, and C. And there's always a direct link. Like if they bought a fashion product, they're obviously reading about fashion content, but it's the second and third. You know, they're also reading about travel and they're reading about food. And if we can take that and now help them create compelling content or, or, or compelling ads that'll work across our sites, um, that's pretty pow powerful. And we've started to do that and seen some early success. Okay, we're out of time. Great. Avi, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you very Appreciate much. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you liked our show, and I hope you did, then please share it forward. How you can do that is by rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It helps our podcast to be discovered, so I hope you'll do this for us. Thank you again for listening, and I'll see you soon with another session.